3, John chapter 3, it's been a couple of weeks now, but we've looked at John 3, 1 through 8, Nicodemus comes to Christ and, and Christ tells him that um, before anyone can see or before anyone can enter into the kingdom that he must be born again. And we looked at the fact that aside from a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in giving spiritual life through regenerating, bringing a, a dead soul to life, that really faith is uh, it's, it's impossible. It's the impossibility of faith uh, if we're left to ourselves. That it's, it's the work of the Spirit that brings life, that opens eyes and hearts and gives understanding and illumination. And so Jesus takes the first eight verses here, at least John devotes the first eight verses to chapter 3, um, with this interaction with Christ and Nicodemus. Um, essentially, uh, all of that is going to be filled with Jesus' teaching here based on you must be born again. He illustrates what he means by that. Then we get in verses 9 through 21, we get Nicodemus's response and then Jesus again responding to him. So here we are in John 3, verse 9. After Jesus says, you must be born again, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and, and said unto him, art thou a master in Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. And so really we have um, several themes from John 1, 1 through 18 in this little interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, first, we have thematically, this John chapter 1, 11 through 13, He came unto His own and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Jesus comes unto his own and his own receives him not. This is what we see here with Nicodemus, a Jew. He was a teacher, the teacher of the Jews. Jesus is interacting with him. Jesus is instructing him. Jesus tells him that before a man can come into the kingdom, he must be born again. And um, we see right off the bat in verse 9, Nicodemus' response, it says that he answered and he said, how can these things be? Now, it's important to note here that this is not a question of confusion. Uh, it's It's not a request for clarity. Now, we might think that if we just had the question. But we have Jesus' response to the question that lets us know that this isn't just Nicodemus saying, could you say that again? Could you, could you say a little more about that? I'm curious as to what you're talking about because I'm just not getting what you're saying. No, this is Nicodemus saying, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe it. How can these things be? This doesn't even make any sense. How do we know that? Because Jesus responds in verse 11 by saying, you've received not what I've said. He also responds in verse 12 by saying, you believe not what I've said. Okay, So this, this, uh, um, this question is one that Jesus takes as being a rejection of what he's just told Nicodemus. Again, Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 10, um, Are you a master of Israel and you know not these things? Now, the word master there just means teacher. Uh, There are some uh, translations that that translate that. Are you the master or the teacher of Israel? Uh, Regardless, what's being said here is that Nicodemus was a man who knew Scripture. He was a teacher among the Jews. Some would argue that he was the teacher of teachers among the Jews. And Jesus is saying here, Nicodemus, how is it that you're a teacher of Israel, a teacher in Israel, and you don't know these things? Verse 11, Verily I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. Jesus is just saying, look, Nicodemus, we know what we're talking about. We know what we've seen. And and here's the condemnation. And and you don't receive our witness. It's not that you're confused about it. It's that you reject it. He says, no man, I'm sorry, uh, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Again, He says, Nicodemus, I'm telling you about these things that happen on earth. These are earthly realities and and you do not believe what I'm telling you. So how are you going to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? We're kind of getting the cart before the horse here. Maybe I should clarify where we're going to be focusing this morning. As we look at verses 9 through 21, we said in verses 1 through 8, Jesus, in talking about regeneration, really points us to the impossibility of faith outside of the Spirit. But then whenever Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus here and really confronting Nicodemus here, John 3, 9-21 through really does point us to the simplicity of faith. 
the simplicity of faith. What does it mean to come to faith in Christ? What does it mean to believe? One of the things that's uh, interesting is right after Jesus says, you must be born again to Nicodemus, you must be born again to be able to see or enter into the kingdom. Then he tells them five times, believe, 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 believe. Isn't that strange? You don't believe. You haven't received. The Son of Man must be lifted up so that all who believe. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that all who believe or whoever believes. Here's the condemnation that light has come into the world, but men love darkness and they rejected the light because they hate the light. The condemnation is that light's come into the world and that you haven't believed. So brothers and sisters, what we're going to see today is that although it is true, whenever we're thinking about where does life come from? Where does belief come from? How does any of this stuff work? Well, it all comes from God. It all comes from God. The, the, the ability, the illumination, all these things. But one of the problems that we find so often, especially in holding to the doctrines of grace, is that often we have no idea what to do with belief. We can make it so complicated, so, so qualified, that we can't even understand what's actually being said. Sometimes those who hold to the doctrines of grace find themselves in a position to where they can't say, look to Christ and be saved. Paul says that. What does he say whenever the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we, we, our, our systematic theology, which is good, there's nothing wrong with systematic theology, but there is something wrong with if, if our systematic theology gets us so wound up in knots and so full of qualifications that we can't just simply say what Scripture simply says itself. Jesus says, believe. Believe. Okay? This is what He's saying to Nicodemus. And so I want to, again, focus here. Jesus gives us a very, very simple, simple look at what does this mean? What does it mean for someone to believe? What does it mean for someone to look to Christ in faith? What does any of that mean? Well, we're just going to look at it this morning in, in three words. And these three words are words that Christ uses in the text. So from verses 9 through 13, it's receiving. It's receiving the word that Christ has spoken. Now, we said this already, but whenever Jesus is in verse 10 saying, are you a master in Israel, a teacher in Israel, and you do not know these things? Okay, that implies that Nicodemus had enough in the Old Testament to know and understand that in order to enter the kingdom, you had to be born again. Now, we talked about last time the fact that Jesus is referring to Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 37, um, and we went even all the way back to Deuteronomy about this idea of a new heart and those kinds of things. 
what's going on with Nicodemus? Why is he not receiving? Well, there's two answers to that question. At least we can nuance the answer in two different categories. Number one, Nicodemus is not receiving what Christ is saying because he can't receive it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man receives not the things of God, neither can he because they are spiritually discerned. Okay? So the natural man, in and of ourselves, we cannot receive spiritual things. Okay? And, and you'll have to go back to the previous message to hear more on that. So number one, he can't receive it. But sometimes we can misunderstand what this means. And so that's why the second one is helpful. Number two, Nicodemus won't receive it. Okay, It's not that he can't and he's standing in neutral saying, you know, if, 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 if you could just you know, make it make sense to me, if you could just make it a little clearer, if you could just, if you could just say a little more about that, I would love to embrace it, but I just can't. No, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. The reason that the natural man cannot receive the things of God is because the things of God are foolish to the natural man. Okay, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at the way Paul talks about it here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 18, now we're talking about those who perish, and we would put that in the same category. Spiritually speaking, we're talking about people who are not born of the Spirit. Okay, unregenerate people. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them that are called both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What are we saying here? What does this tell us about what's happening with Christ and Nicodemus? Well, what Christ has just said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus cannot receive it because it is a stumbling block to him. Stumbling block in what way? Well, we all know the Jews were set out to establish their own righteousness. Okay, It was the Word of God that they thought, life is here. If I, can, if I can keep this, if I can make myself as principled and as holy as possible, life is going to be found here. it's, it's, It's my outward performance. It's cleaning the outside of the cup that I'm interested in. And Christ comes and and essentially says, Nicodemus, you can scrub the outside as much as you want, but unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom. And Nicodemus says, 
that goes against everything I've ever thought. That's a stumbling block. I can't, I, I can't accept that. That flies in the face of everything I've lived my life for. And so it's not that Nicodemus can't receive it because, again, he's in neutral wishing he could. It's that at this point, and by the way, we have reason to believe that Nicodemus did receive it, that Nicodemus did begin to follow Jesus Christ and became a sincere follower of Christ before this gospel ends. But, but at this point, it's not that Nicodemus is in neutral wishing he could do something. It's that he won't. In order for Nicodemus to receive this, he has to reject everything he's lived his life for. And it cost him too much. I won't do it. Whenever we think about this eyes to see, ears to hear, we think about receiving the Word of God. Romans 8-7 tells us that the carnal mind cannot receive the things of God. But, but here's why. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. You know what that means? It means that the carnal mind hates God, is hostile toward God, is opposed to God, and is actively at war with God. It's not that the carnal mind says, you know, I'm just missing, I'm missing a software update. And if I could just get it, I would believe. That's not it. It's that the carnal mind is actively, Romans 1, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. I will not receive this. We will not have this man reign over us. We will not bow the knee to this person. Okay. So Nicodemus in John 3, although the language can be a little bit deceiving, Jesus' answer is clear. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, I cannot. How can these things be? I can't receive this. In another place, I think it's John 6, some of the disciples say, this is a hard saying. And they're not saying this is a hard saying to understand. They're saying it's a hard saying to embrace. It's a hard saying to receive. If what you're saying is true, then that means I've got to, I've got to abandon and turn away from everything else in my life that I have tried to prop my righteousness up with. I've got to turn away from my own merits. I've got to turn away from my own... Um, the things that I've, I've placed my hopes in and built my life around. Um, so the question is, so we think about the simplicity of faith. I just I want to make some simple statements here. Number one, based on this receiving, faith simply believes what Jesus says. Faith simply believes what Jesus says. Now, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Well, that's by design. Okay. Sometimes we can just make things so complicated and we can make things so convoluted and, 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 and try to build some sort of a structure that that goes far beyond what, what, what's here. What does it mean? How do you know? You'll notice what Jesus does not say to Nicodemus. He doesn't say in verses 1 through 8, you must be born again, and then turns around in verses 9 through 21 and says, you must figure out if you're born again. That's not what He says. He says, you must be born again, now believe. 
believe. How do you know if you're born again? Because you believe. That's how you know. How do you know if you're born again? Well, some people say, you know, I don't know if I'm elect or not. Well, join the club of every unregenerate person you know. Nobody knows that. And you've never been called to unravel that. Paul said to the Thessalonians, I'm confident that uh, uh, that you are elect because you received the word of God. That you believed. It's embracing truth. It's embracing what Christ has said as being true. And so we can look again to the text a little closer and, 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 and sharpen that up just a little bit. Look in verses 11 through 13. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know. And the wording here in the King James is kind of, for, for our ears, is kind of clumsy. Jesus is just saying, we know what we're talking about and we testify of things that we've seen. We're eyewitnesses to these things. But Nicodemus, you, you have not received our witness. The word witness there just means testimony. He says, if I've told you of earthly things and you believe not, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And then here it is in verse 13. And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. If we're thinking thematically in John, our mind ought to go back to John chapter 1, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Now here's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, I am the exclusive source of spiritual truth. And I'm declaring to you what I know firsthand from my intimate fellowship with the Father. Whenever we say we receive what Jesus says is truth, we're saying that we believe. And then you might think, well, you know what? I mean, Nicodemus had the Old Testament and and the Old Testament is true. We believe that it's inspired. And that is true. But you, Nicodemus didn't just have the Old Testament. Nicodemus had the Old Testament. And he also had all of the writings of the rabbis that were viewed as authoritative as the rest of the Old Testament. He had the Midrash. And he had all the other sayings to where the, the Scriptures were interpreted, elaborated on, added to. And Christ says... Nicodemus, there's only one person that's come down from heaven, and that's me. And what I'm telling you, I'm telling you because I come from the bosom of the Father. And I am declaring truth to you. Jesus is saying, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You know, it's one thing to have some spiritual curiosities. That's fine, but that doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, it's one thing to, um, to say, you know, I know there's got to be more than just what I'm seeing here. Well, that's fine, but that doesn't mean anything. The simplicity of faith, first and foremost, embraces the words of Christ as truth. And you realize that Christ's words concerning spiritual realities, as far as what's available, can get lost in a sea of confusion. But the faith that's implanted in the heart 
of a regenerate individual sees through that mess and embraces the words of truth. It's a supernatural thing. But it's a real thing. He believes. He knows his shepherd, John 10. He will not be led by the voice of another, John 10. And so the question is, we think about this first reality, that we receive Christ's words as truth. You know, what, what's your response to this? What's your response to the fact that Jesus claims Himself to be the only source of truth, the only source of life, the only way to the Father? Well, there's only one of two responses. One response is, I believe that. I embrace that. I receive that witness. And the, the other response is, I reject that. It can't be that. There's got, to be, there's got to be other ways. There's all kinds of other truths. Well, again, whenever we're thinking about the simplicity of faith, faith simply receives the words of Christ. Not as men's words. And that's why it's so important that our faith is built on Scripture. That the Word is our authority. Because Christ is our authority and we believe this Word came from Him. Okay, Our faith is not built on some sappy story that I could tell from the pulpit. Your faith is not built on some logical deduction that I can make from some uh, starting point that helps uh, that, that helps me fit what I want to say or what I would like to believe inside of something. Your faith comes from the clear Word of God that you can either verify or nullify whether Lewis is alive or dead. And those who believe receive the Word. Secondly, verse 14 He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have, ever, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So verses 9 through 13, it's receiving, receiving the word that Christ brings. Verses 14 through 18, it's believing. Jesus here references a story from Numbers 21, okay, 4 through 9. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That Just a, for time's sake, the summary of that story there, again, if you're taking notes, it's Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. The, uh, the children of Israel 
began to complain and, 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 and murmur about the Lord. And so God sends these serpents. They're called fiery serpents. And the, the, most people believe the reason that they're called that is because whenever they bit the people, that it just burned like fire. It was just, it was a very devastating bite. So these serpents come into the camp or in among the people and they begin to bite them. And the people begin to die from these snake bites. And the Lord says to Moses, make a bronze serpent and lift it up. And all who look upon that serpent will live. And then it just goes on. I mean, it's just kind of an odd story inserted out of nowhere. And and Jesus points back to that and says, just as... Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, what happens? What happens in this Numbers story? What's what's the similarity? Well, first, what God does in Numbers as far as with the snake bites, these people are poisoned really a death sentence, he begins to expose the condition of the people who had been infected with a snake bite. So here's the question. As far as believing goes, part of it is just simply believing what God says about your sin. Believing what God says about your sin. Okay, very basic statements about that. Look, look in Romans chapter 5. It's a familiar verse for for most of you. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and by death, I'm sorry, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Here's God's declaration about your sin, about my sin. That it was through one man, Adam, that sin entered into the world, and death came as a result of that sin, and so death has passed upon all Man. Romans 6.23 would say that the wages of sin is death. What does it mean that we would deal with sin or that sin would even be a reality in our life? What are we talking about here? Rebellion? That's part of it. But one of the things we see from Romans chapter 5 is that sin is not just what you do. Sin is part of who you are. It was part of who you were before it ever became part of what you did. It was a mind that was set in enmity against God, what we talked about earlier in Romans chapter 8 verse 7. It's one, Romans chapter 3, that has fallen short of the glory of God. And Scripture tells us that the result of that is death. It's part of who you are. It's part of what you do. 
James chapter 1, 13 through 16, as he goes through that whole progression of temptation and, and, and that uh, when our hearts are carried away and, and when the whole series is complete and sin has occurred, death is the result. So it's just really a simple, simple reality here. I'm not saying this is all that the Bible has to say about this topic, but the simple reality is this. That just as all those who were bitten by the snake in, in, in uh, Numbers 21 were sentenced to death if they didn't find the help they needed, all those who are infected with the curse of sin will one day die, both a physical and outside of Christ, a spiritual, eternal death. You have in your sin left to yourself, you have been separated from God. And you'll notice that in, in, in what's at least recalled here, and you can imagine this is the case. In Numbers 21, the people who were bitten by the snakes and they were told that if you look upon the brass serpent that Moses lifts up, then you will live. You'll notice there's not a ton of explanation there. There's not, a, there's not a lot of qualifications there. In our minds, we could get real curious and people in numbers could have gotten real curious. Well, how does that work? How does that work? Is that kind of like those copper bracelets they sell at Walmart? They're supposed to have some medicinal thing. This thing's made out of bronze and somehow if we look at it, we get the minerals we need to overcome the poison. That's, you know, that's silly. But you know, we do a lot of silly things just like that sometimes, trying to say more than what has to be said as far as, I'm not talking about fleshing out what Scripture says, but as far as what are we talking about when we're just talking about a simple faith? What does it mean to look to Christ? What does it mean to believe? First off, it believe, it, it's, it's you believing the condition that you're in, in and of yourself. You've been infected with sin. And if nothing happens, you will die a death that will leave you in a state that is eternally separated from God. So their condition was exposed. But also, Numbers 21, this is 8 through 9, God's provision was lifted up. Moses makes the, 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 the snake, he lifts up the snake for all who look at that would be healed. It's not just believing what God has said about your condition, it's believing what He has said about Christ. The Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's, it's looking to Christ. And we'll say a little more about the text here, but really it's just as simple as Isaiah 45.22. Again, the simplicity of faith is what we're talking about here. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look, look, look unto me. The Son of Man must be lifted up so that all who believe, if you were to take the passage in Numbers, it's all who look. 
are we looking for? What is it that we're looking at? What is it that we're believing, embracing? Well, number one, we're looking to Christ for forgiveness. So we have to realize that sin in and of itself You'll have to listen to what I'm saying or this may not make sense. But the problem with sin is really a problem with God. You know what I mean when I say that? Sin doesn't just accumulate neutral debt to just anybody. The reason sin is such a serious deal and the fact that you're a sinner is such a serious deal is because God takes sin seriously. And every time we sin, both in, or maybe I should say... um, all-encompassing in your thoughts and your motives and your actions, the things that you do that you shouldn't do, the things that you don't do that you should do, all of that is an offense to God. And God collects the sin debt. And it has to be paid for somehow. What are we looking to Christ for? Well, number one, we're looking to Christ for the forgiveness of sin. His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Just as that serpent was lifted up, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And all who believe, believe what? Believe I can't do anything with these stained garments. I can't do anything with this unrighteousness. But Christ can forgive. He's my only hope. Look into Christ for righteousness. Look into Christ for righteousness. So say I'm forgiven. Then what? Well, I'm just going to go and collect more. I'm going to collect more debt, more sin debt, because even if God wipes the slate clean today, it's not going to be long until I accumulate more. But, but no, that's not what the gospel says. Second Corinthians chapter five talks about this great exchange where our sin is placed on Christ and, and Christ's righteousness is placed on us. So, As I come before God, stand before God, I don't stand before God based on my own righteousness. I don't come to God and say, look, look, Lord, I'm 10 for 10 when it comes to church services. I've read my Bible every day. I've done everything that I know to do to please you and to be right. God's answer is you haven't done enough. And what you have done, you haven't done well enough. And so do not bring that to me as a source of righteousness. Look to the Son. Look to the Son. Looking to Christ for forgiveness. Looking to Christ for righteousness. And again, look to Christ or looking to Christ as our advocate for the Father. As our mediator. The one whom we come through you realize that the pipeline that's opened up is not just a direct line for you to the Father. That's not the way that works. You come through Christ to the Father. And when we think about Christ being an advocate, we talk, we're, we're thinking about Christ being uh, an attorney, as it were, one who continually argues your case 
before the Father, who continually reminds the Father of your righteousness because you've received His righteousness, who continually is advocating on your behalf to the Father because He's for you. Believing what God has said about His Son. Third, not only are we believing what God has said about our condition, not only are we believing what God has said about Christ, what we find in this passage is that we are called to believe, to embrace the depths of God's love for us. What do we mean by that? We'll look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That can also be translated this way. God loved the world to this extent. He so loved. The word so there is an expression of depth in this way. That He gave His only begotten Son. So the question has to be answered. You know, What are we talking about? God so loved the world. The world that's being communicated here. Well, we could spend an entire sermon going through the different ways that the word world is used in uh, the New Testament and the fact that every time the world is used, it doesn't mean every single person on the planet. We don't have time to do that this morning. When we're, when we're thinking about this verse in context and we're trying to think about what is being said here, um, in a Jew's mind, there were two groups of people. There were Jews and then there was the world. Okay. Everybody else was lumped up into that world. And when Jesus says, God so loved the world, Jesus is really making a statement to Nicodemus that this love extends far beyond the Jews, Nicodemus. This is not just a, a love that is preserved for national Israel. This covenant-keeping, covenant-loving God has loved and does love a people from the world. Again, it's not talking about every single human being, but it is talking about the fact that His love extends beyond the Jews. Now, some might say, well, you know, whenever I think about that, I always think about Him as saying He, he so loved the world of the elect. Well, theologically, there's nothing wrong with that. Contextually, that would have made absolutely no sense to Nicodemus. Okay, So, so contextually, that's not what that's, that verse is saying. Theologically, that's a true statement. But again, that, that part makes no sense as far as Nicodemus and Jesus' interaction here. He's saying that God loved not just the Jews, but He's had a people in the world. And if Nicodemus knew the Old Testament the way he should, he would know that. Uh, that's not a foreign concept in the Old Testament. Um, and so His covenant extends beyond the Jews. Really what the verse here is, is getting at is that God gave us His people, right? God has given us Christ to display the depths of His love for His people. Now again, think about that from John chapter 1, verse 18. Christ who comes from the bosom of the Father, the one that He loves more than anyone else. And the Father says, I can't think of another way that would express my love to my people anymore than making my son the atonement for sin, the propitiation for sin, 
Now, there's other reasons why that was done. No one else could have done that besides Christ. But what we hear in John 3.16 is that while Christ was exclusively suited for the job, that part of this exclusiveness is God says, I can't go any further than what I've done to prove my love to my people. Believe. Believe. Now, you'll notice this is wrestling through things. And when we're talking about believe, we are saying believe as far as the simplicity of faith and what would it mean for someone to come to Christ. But this belief is something that we must continue to exercise and maintain even after we've come to Christ. I want you to think about the struggles that you and I have on a daily basis because we struggle with and even refuse to believe that God has done everything necessary and can't do anything more to prove the depths of His love to us than what He's already done in Christ. Many times we think, well, Lord, if You would just give me this. And He says, look to Christ. What can I give you? Romans chapter 8, verse 32, if He gave us His Son, what more could He do to prove that He's for us, that He loves us? And so the question is, What's your response to Jesus' claim that His life, death, resurrection is the greatest display of God's love to His covenant people? Now, we will notice this. We'll notice Jesus' language. We mentioned this earlier, but it's worth pointing out again. This is Jesus speaking. And He says, verse 15, whoever believeth. Verse 16, Whosoever believeth. Verse 18, he that believeth. Again, these are all generalities here. The he is a general he. What's the, what's the point? Well, this is a, this is a proclamation. Okay. Some people call this the offer of the gospel. This is not an offer, it's a proclamation, but, but it's a proclamation. Right? And the proclamation here is that whoever believes will be saved. Is that true or is it not true? Well, it is true. But it's not their belief that saved them. Right? And again, sometimes we can, get our, we can get our theology so tight and so categorized that we think, wait a minute, wait a minute. That statement needs a bunch of qualifications. Well, brothers and sisters, we can't say it any better than Jesus said it, can we? And this is what He says. Nicodemus, whoever believes. Whoever believes. So the question is, do you believe that Jesus' work on the cross is your only hope for forgiveness? Because whoever believes that will be saved. That's a true statement. The the question is, do you believe that Jesus' perfect life is your only source of righteousness? Because whoever believes that and comes to God through Christ will be saved. The question is not, do you believe that you're part of the elect or do you believe you're born again? The question is, are you looking to Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul? And the answer to that will answer the previous two questions. So receive, receiving the word The words of Jesus is true. Believing, looking to the Son 
looking to the cross. Then, as far as the simplicity of faith, he says, receive, believe. Verses 19 through 21, he says, come. This is the condemnation, verse 19, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Coming into the light. What does that mean? What are we talking about here? Well, first, John does take the time to say here, when he's talking about the work of Jesus, verse 17, that the Son didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The implication there is that the world was condemned already. You did all you needed to do, all by yourself to be condemned. The Son came to save. The Son came to give life. The Son came in John chapter 1 as a light into the darkness. And then He goes on and He says, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but men love darkness. They love darkness. You see, here's the reality. You will always pursue and protect what you love. You get angry about things you love. You get anxious about things you love. You get irritated about things you love. Every emotional response you will ever have is tied to something you love. And you're afraid you won't get it or you're afraid you won't be able to keep it. And what's being said here is that light has come into the world and the condemnation is that men hated the light because they loved the darkness. Romans 8, 7, their minds are at enmity with God. But those who do truth come into the light, their deeds might be exposed. So what are we talking about here? We're trying to keep it as simple as the text keeps it. So if receiving from the first section is simply just Believing and embracing the words of Christ is truth. Believing is looking to Christ for forgiveness, for our righteousness, for our standing before God. Coming to the light that our evil deeds might be exposed. Well, brothers and sisters, we're just simply talking about a life that is characterized by confession and repentance. How do you bring yourself into the light? By exposing your evil deeds and by exposing the work of God in you. So confession, what is that? Well, confession is just simply saying the same thing that God says. Okay, so whenever you're called to confess your sin, it's just simply, it just simply means that you say the same thing that God says about your sin, which is, this is wrong. This is an abomination before the Lord. This is something that must be dealt with. But that's part of what it means to, to walk in the light. Look in 1 John chapter 1. You know this, but I'll remind you of it. 1 John chapter 1, 
verse 5, this is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, let's stop there for a second. I know there's another verse there, but let's stop. What does it mean for us to bring ourselves into the light? Well, at some level, we might be tempted to say, well, we're walking in the light as He is in the light. What does that mean? It means we're, we're not sinning. Okay, and, and on some level, that's, that's true. We're trying to grow in righteousness. But on this side of death, you'll never have a day where you are purely walking in the line. Matter of fact, John knows that. That's why he immediately says um, that if we say that we have no sin, then we make him a liar. So what is walking in the line? What does that even mean? It means that as we're walking, that is just your manner of life, living your life, and you are exposed to, you realize that you have sinned against the Lord, you confess that sin. And He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, repentance is implied there, although we're going to look at a a different passage about that. What does it mean? Well, to come to Christ... We could do all, we could say all kinds of things. If you'll just read this, if you'll just read that, let me take you through this, you know, 20 week whatever. What does it mean to come to Christ? What does it mean to, 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 uh, um, come into the light? Well, it means that you begin to say the same things that he says about you and about your sin. And then it means you begin to turn from those things. Begin to turn from those things. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. And that means keep on repenting and keep on believing. This is a lifestyle. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're going to continually turn from sin to Christ. From sin to Christ. And tomorrow, from sin to Christ. And the next day, turning from sin to Christ. I'm detecting pride in my heart. I'm going to confess that. I want to turn from it. I'm detecting uh, laziness in my spiritual walk. I want to turn from that to Him. I'm detecting sinful anger. Fill in the blank. I'm going to be turning from that to Him. Bringing myself into the light. Saying the same things that Christ has said. Trusting in His righteousness. Resting in His forgiveness. Knowing that I have an advocate with the Father and I am not on a performance-based relationship with Him. And so I'm going again and again. Turning from sin. Turning to Christ. So there's some common roadblocks to this sort of thing. It can almost sound too good to be true. We talk about the simplicity of faith. There's plenty of things that can turn the simplicity into something a little more complex. They seem pious, but at their root, they're really just unbelief. So it's things like this. Some of these are going to apply simply to someone who's never confessed faith, and then there's 
others that we'll just have to continue to deal with and fight against as life goes. Common expression that many times is a roadblock is, well, you know, I just don't feel worthy to be counted as a follower of Christ. I just don't feel worthy. And so I, I, I can't I can't make a public profession. I cannot do that. I'm just not worthy. What's the problem here? Well, the problem is you're looking to yourself for hope. Okay, You're hoping that your feelings will somehow be your savior. And that's unbelief. The solution is you need to look to Christ. Every time you allow your feeling of unworthiness to keep you from professing faith in Christ, you're saying, yeah, you're a messenger from heaven, but I don't believe you. Yeah, you were lifted up just like the serpent, but I need more than that. And yeah, you've told me to bring myself in the light. And I've done that, but it's, it hasn't worked. Another common expression is, I'm just not sure that I feel sorry enough over my sin. Everybody in this room has experienced that. If you've been walking with Christ for any amount of time at all, what's the problem? Well, again, the problem is you're trying to find hope in yourself. The message is not look inward and, and live. The message is not that if you can look at yourself and you can weigh your motives and and, and you can somehow um, uh, articulate the degree of sorrow if the needle hits 51% or more, then you can find assurance. That's not it. The message is that Christ is a successful Savior who has accomplished salvation for His people and all who look to Him and believe can rest in that relationship with Him. Someone might say, I'm not sure that my faith is strong enough. Well, it's probably not. But stop looking to yourself for hope and look to Christ. Someone says, I'm not sure that my life is clean enough. Well, it most assuredly is not. Stop looking to yourself for hope and look to Christ. Someone says, I'm not sure that my commitment will last. Well, in your own strength, it won't. So stop looking to yourself and look to Christ. The question is not how are you doing in your life? The question is not what are you doing with your life? The question is what what are you doing with Jesus Christ? Are you looking to Him? Are you trusting in Him? Are you coming to Him for help and hope? Or are you saying, yeah, I I, I like what you've said, but let me clean myself up a little more. Let me have some assurance in in my own merits first. Let me give a little boost. I don't like this whole business of putting all my eggs in the basket of Christ. I want to come with at least one. And you can't come that way. You can't come the way Nicodemus comes. You can't come as someone who says, I'm living and placing my confidence in the fact that I am a consistent principled person who knows the word and who has lived my life in a way that has tried to be as righteous as I possibly can. And you know what God's response is? Look to Christ. You also can't live in such a way that says, I want to be fully sanctified before I get there. 
Because your sanctification is found in Christ. And so the message is. The message is from John. Turn back John chapter three. Verse 13, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. Christ knows what he's talking about. He's seen firsthand what he's talking about. The question is, have you received the word of this message from heaven? The Son of Man had to be lifted up just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. The question is, have you looked? Have you embraced? Have you in hope placed all your eggs in that basket? The reality is, is that light has come into the world. And the question is, what have you done about that? Have you clung to your darkness because you love it more than you love light? Or through confession and repentance, have you brought yourself into the line looking to the blood of Christ for your forgiveness, the life of Christ for your righteousness, the ascended Christ for the security that you will not fall away? Brothers and sisters, faith comes as a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. But when that faith comes, it simply rests and embraces the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for just the simplicity of the Gospel. Lord, we, we, we do a lot of things that can muddle that up and it's there's no problem with your word in that but many times through for various reasons we can lose sight of the fact that if we have been drawn to you through the power of the spirit then our hope our faith rests solely in what your son has said and what he has done for us and so, Father, even no doubt in this message where I've tried to calculate how I might present this in as simplest terms as possible, there's no doubt I have not done that perfectly. So I pray that you would make up for what needs to be made up for. And I pray that you would use the message of the gospel to bring life and immortality to light. That those who have not yet looked upon Christ and believed, might find the freedom, the life, the light that accompanies that. Lord, we pray that as Your Son is lifted up, that You would draw Your people to Yourself. In Jesus' name, Amen.